0: All right. good morning. Good to see everybody. Thanks for being here at Summit Crossing uh, this morning. And if you're visiting with us, we just want to say welcome. We're really glad that you give us a little bit of your time here on Sunday morning. Uh, We're going to continue our series this week that we started last week where we're talking about how can you find some enduring faith in the midst of an exhausted culture. And so if you have a Bible, you can open up to Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, There's some Bibles floating around here still, and while you're doing that, just a quick update on um, the COVID situation, and and the quick update is there is no update right now, but we are still continuing to monitor monitor everything, and so like we talked about last week, if we are looking for ways to to, to show some gratitude or to have that attitude of gratitude in our hearts, man, thank you, God, that we're here this morning. So, so far, uh, no new updates on that. And while you're flipping over to Hebrews chapter 4, you know, last week we started this series where we're talking about how to find endurance in an exhausting culture. We spent a lot of time trying to convince you of the need to hear more about that, what the Bible has to say about all that. I'm not going to spend a ton of time doing that today because, you know, we did last week. What we're going to talk about today is that if you're going to have real, honest, authentic, enduring faith in an exhausting time or an exhausting culture, then you're going to have to be somebody who understands and is practicing rest. rest. Now I've been here for a few weeks now and it feels like every single week I get up here that's what I'm talking about, right? It's like rest. It's like, hey, everybody relax. Just take it easy. Everybody rest, you know? You know, kick back, kick your feet back, make yourself at home. And that's on purpose. It's not on accident that I'm talking about that. We really sense that that's what uh, we need to be hearing right now. And so um, we're going to continue to talk a little bit with, with some more specifics today about what That rest can really look like. And and the way we're going to do that is I'm going to um, read a passage to you from Hebrews chapter 4. I'm just going to warn you up front that unless you're a Bible person, a lot of this passage isn't going to make a lot of sense on the surface. And so we read passages of the Bible out loud because we believe God's word is where he reveals himself. So the Bible is where he reveals himself. So we need to hear it out loud because what often happens is we never even read the Bible out loud. We just listen to some dude like me stand up on stage and talk about the Bible. And so we want to read this out loud. And I'll just warn you, I'm not going to explain every little detail of this passage. But we are going to kind of focus on the end and what it can teach us about how we can actually find rest. Uh, If you are exhausted right now, if you are looking for endurance right now, if you're just somebody that needs to find some rest right now. So hopefully this will have a lot for you. So let me read it and then we'll just talk a little bit about it today. So that's the plan. Let's go. Hebrews chapter 4. Let me read this to you. Starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest, God's rest, still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Verse 2, for good news came to us, just as to them, the Israelites, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So verse 3, for we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Verse 4, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day, In this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Verse 5, and again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. In verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Verse 7, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one, May fall by the same sort of disobedience, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So there's a lot of like, meat to that, isn't there? There's a lot of weight to that verse, right? Any, anybody an expert on that one yet? Like, You got that one down? Like, I'll, I'll give you the face mic, I'll do it, don't call my bluff. Like, if you know all of it, like, there's a lot there. We're not going to spend a lot of time like, going through every little detail on that. I really kind of want to focus mainly at the end of that passage where it talks a lot about entering into God's rest. It says there literally is a rest that God has provided for his people and how do we enter into that? That's what we're going to mainly focus on today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what is God's rest. We're going to talk about then how do you enter into that. And then real practically at the end, what are some ways you can be doing that? That's, that's the way we'll break down the time. So what is God's rest? We're just going to kind of jump in and, and take a look at that and kind of talk about what is Sabbath rest. And here, here's what I will say is this maybe some of you grew up in the church all of your life maybe some of you are brand new to the church coming back to the church for the first time maybe there's some of you in here that really church is kind of a foreign thing Uh, maybe your friends or your family invited you that's why you're checking things out and i'll say this that if you've been around the church for any period of time the the idea of sabbath usually for a lot of people means what we're doing today like sundays Sunday is a Sabbath day, and so you show up to church on Sunday, and then afterwards, you do not go back to work. You're going to take off all day Sunday. You're not going to work all day Sunday, and then at the end of Sunday, you're going to get ready, and you're going to go back to work again for the rest of the week. And you've seen Sabbath as this 24-hour period during the week, and that's kind of the extent of it. And, and I'll say this. There's some truth to that. There's definitely Well, you're going to hear as we get into this later on. There's a lot of truth to having that 24 hours of of just rest of sabbath rest but before the sabbath in the bible is ever some discipline that you practice before it's ever some day that you observe during the week it's first and foremost a major principle about god that you need to understand like if if you don't understand the principle it it is absolutely silly to practice the discipline of it like without the principle the discipline has no value It, it really has no value and I'll say this, the discipline of Sabbath is a non-negotiable for the Christian. It really is. Everywhere you look throughout the scriptures, Sabbath is everywhere. It's like rest is from the beginning to the very end. Rest really is this major, the Sabbath kind of rest is this major theme throughout the scriptures. In fact, it's such a major theme that oftentimes, like what happens is I get people asking me a lot of questions as a pastor, right? And so as a pastor, people come to me, my top three questions that everybody asks, asks me about, I'll just be honest with you like number one is like what's going on with revelation like can you tell me about that and like, is it all coming to an end tomorrow? That's usually number one. Uh, number two is, like, teach me more about spiritual disciplines because I want to know. So we talk a lot about spiritual disciplines. Number three is usually some variation of, like, can I date this girl or this guy? And, like, what can we do when we date? And is this, you know, acceptable or not? And so we talk a lot about that. And so I'm not going to talk a lot about dating today. We can, we can chat on the side. Uh, we're, we're, I, I doubt we're going to get into talking about Revelation today. I'll just be honest. We don't have enough time. But... But that middle thing, what do we do about spiritual disciplines? Everybody wants to know more about spiritual disciplines because I think a lot of people are tired of like shallow faith, right? Like a lot of people go, I I want a faith that has some sort of power that goes beyond just showing up on Sunday, showing up on Wednesday night, showing up to a missional committee. Like I want... I want to tap into something in my relationship with God that's authentic, that's raw, it's real, it's got power in my life. So teach me more about how I can be disciplined to tap more into that power. And so I talk to men and women all the time about it. Like, like how are we doing with some of those disciplines? And we'll talk about, you know, you should be praying more and you should be reading your Bible more. And, you know, if you're in certain parts of the country, we'll call that like a daily quiet time. If you're other parts of the country, that's like foreign language. But like, like we start talking about these disciplines, and, and, and maybe during the week you need to go serve and, and, and be part of the missional work that God's doing in the church. And, and people jump on that, but oftentimes I talk to people and I go, and then on top of that, you need to be resting, practicing the Sabbath. Not religiously, we're gonna talk a lot about that in just a little bit. But as important to your spiritual growth as Bible study is, so is observing, practicing, and having a regular rhythm of rest in your life. See, you, you, you have to understand that, that I'm not just saying that, the Bible is chock full of, of it. And so what is Sabbath rest? Because it's critical to your faith. It's critical to you being that person that taps into something powerful. What is it? Well, well to, to understand it, you gotta understand why we need it, why we need rest. And, and essentially, the, the reason we need rest is because at the end of the day, um, When you look at this passage, he uses this key word, and it's the word work. In fact, if you go back into Hebrews chapter 4, look back at Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 9, it says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, and then in verse 10, here we go, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now here's a quick Bible tip if you want to learn the Bible. Anytime the New Testament writers use the word work or works, you just entered into the legal realm. Now that might sound really, really boring to a lot of you unless you like to watch like binge watch legal stuff on Netflix or whatever. But but when you enter into the legal realm, when you see that word works, what is essentially happening is they're saying, I want you to start thinking about the fact that as a human being, programmed into your heart, you are on trial. You're on trial. Every human being is. In fact, you don't even have to be a Christian to understand that you're on trial. Like, I understand that Christians a lot of times struggle with guilt and they struggle with, you know, sinfulness and they, they struggle with this idea of being on trial. But even if you don't believe in Jesus, even if you would reject the claims of Christianity, still inside the human soul is this idea that we're constantly on trial. Just look at how people react to their life. Like, when you look at Christians, a lot of times what they'll say is, I stand before a holy perfect, just judge of the universe, and I'm on trial before him, and if I don't measure up to his standard, then he owes me his justice and his wrath because he is just and holy and perfect. And so when I don't measure up to God's standard now, I come under that wrath, and so that's what Christians are constantly wrestling with is the fact that we are on trial, but it's not just Christians. If you look at non-Christians, maybe somebody that says, I I have rejected the claims of Jesus, they'll put themselves on trial all the time. They may not admit it, but they'll say, this is exactly how I feel too. It's not that I'm coming under the the judgment of a holy, just, perfect uh, God out there. Instead, I'm my own God, and I'm going to hold myself to my own trial and my own standards. So maybe the person that wouldn't believe in God would say instead of trying to find my life in God I'm going to find my life in my job and if I just have a good enough job and I just have enough money then then I will feel like I have dignity and I have value my life matters but if I don't measure up to what that God my job demands of me then I will come under its judgment and I won't have that anymore I'll, I'll come under the judgment of my job or maybe it's not job maybe it's relationships you know I reject God, but if I can just marry this person, have this girl, have this guy in my life, and we just have this marriage, and we just kind of love each other for who we are, um, if I can just do enough for that guy or for that girl, then, then I can find life. And you, you're constantly putting yourself on trial, going, am I measuring up to that standard or not? Can you relate to that? Like can you like like you don't have to admit it to everybody right this second. I'm saying in your own heart right now, can you relate to that 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 trial that you feel like you're in the middle of right now? Maybe some of you that's what you need to hear today is that you're on trial. But here's here's the point is that when you're on trial under this holy perfect judge of the universe, the Bible claims that's what God is. You're going to need to find rest at some point. So what is Sabbath rest? Well. Why are we on trial before God? That's what you have to answer the question. And here's the quick biblical answer on why you're on trial before God. When God created everything, right? Back, go all the way back to Genesis and read you know, the creation account in Genesis. It's really cool. Like Go back and and read that. And God created literally everything. And he spent six days creating everything. And at the end of those six days, he gets done creating everything. It culminates with him creating the pinnacle of his creation, man and woman. They're created in the image of God. He gets done creating everything. And what does he say at the end of that? He says, it is good. His creation is good. In fact, when you look at his creation, everything that comes under his rule and in, uh, under his reign is in perfect peace with one another. This is why you go to the beginning of the Bible and you see Adam and Eve living in the Garden of Eden and they're like hanging out and like, you know, it's like a cool day. It's probably weather like we had last week and like, like they're sitting down next to a lion, you know, like having a picnic and the lion's like cutting them a sandwich and going, here, eat this. And the lion's not eating them. It's not eating them because everything's in harmony. Everything's in peace. Everything's at rest. Because here's the principle you need to understand. Before the Sabbath, before God's rest, is ever a day to be practiced. It's a principle to be grasped and believed. And that principle is this, that everything that comes under the rule of God is at rest. And everybody who is at rest is under the rule and reign of God. Why? Because he's the one who created it all. And when you come under his reign, you see that anything that comes under the reign of God is at rest. Now this is a crazy thought if you think about it because how can you be at rest under the reign of a god who owes you nothing but justice and wrath even condemnation. I mean the Bible says all of us are like Adam and Eve. What happened to Adam and Eve? If you go back again read back in Genesis chapter 3, y'all know the story, right? What happens to Adam and Eve? Remember they're in this perfect garden everything is at rest everything's under the rule and reign of god they're sitting there and they buy into the lie that they can make it better they buy into the lie that they can become god and they don't need god in fact they know better than god how to run their own lives and so they sin they enter into sin what is sinfulness it's just literally them saying i can be my own god i don't need you god and so i'm going to try to run the universe around me i'm going to come under my own rule and under my own reign and what happens out of that is now they step out of the rule and reign of God, try to do it on their own, and now the creation is left in smoldering ruins and Adam and Eve are going to toil the rest of the days of their life trying to make something out of their own lives, trying to be their own God. And then you have this story of sinfulness echoed throughout the Old Testament over and over and over again, like what happens to us when we reject God's reign and try to reign ourselves. And if you read the Old Testament and you see people trying to be their own God, it's exhausting over and over and over again, they try, and all hell breaks loose around them. But here is the writer of, the, of, the, of Hebrews literally coming in and saying, yet, in the midst of that, there remains access to God's rest for his people. This is a beautiful thing, that God's rest is his rule, coming under his rule. Coming under his rule means rest. How do you enter into it? And that's what we got to talk about. That's where we need to go next. How do you then enter into um, coming under the rule of God in a way that you can begin to rest? Right? I mean, because it's a good question. I think it's a good question. I'm not the only one that's asking it, by the way. Just go do some research. And a lot of people are asking that question when they teach this passage. Like, how do you come under and enter into that kind of rest? And, And what do we see? Well, if you look back in the scriptures, there's a couple of different things. First of all, we should strive to enter into that rest, so, so make no mistake, like the Bible's very clear that as Christians, you have been given a gift from God, and that's the access to this kind of rest we're talking about. Literally, rest for your soul. Like it says, if you look back in there, in verse 11, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience as the Israelites who tried to make themselves God. So let us strive to enter into that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And so how? How do you begin to enter into that rest? Well, here's what I would say is you need the gospel. You need to hear the gospel and you need to believe the gospel or you will never be at rest, ever. Without the gospel, God is not good. So, so track with me for just a second because we live in the South, right? In, like, in the South, like it's... I don't know if you know maybe you've been in the south like all your life. But I don't know if you know this but like the thing to do in the south is to like go to church. Do this stuff. Talk about God. Open up a Bible and read it. Pray a prayer over dinner. Go through the motions of Christianity with people. It's like the cultural norm. But here's what I want to do with our with our church, our gathering, our our community here is, if you've grown up in that all your life, I want to just give you permission to think about it this way. Just because God is holy and just and all-powerful and rightfully so does not mean he's a good God. Does not mean he's a good God. In fact, I would argue that if he is a holy, just, perfect, all-powerful God who rightfully owes us his wrath, and his judgment and his condemnation, and we underneath that wrath and judgment and condemnation in this trial that we're in have been declared guilty, I would, I would say don't worship that God. Run from him as fast as you possibly can, and maybe by the skin of your teeth try to hide from him, right? Because it's like sometimes we go, okay, God is holy, he's just, he's everything, it, it, you know, all these powerful things, and so we ought to worship him. I'm like, no, you got to run from him. Like the God that only has wrath for you is not a God worth following. But isn't the beautiful good news of the gospel that it doesn't stop at God's holiness, his his rightful judgment over mankind's sin? What do you have instead in the scriptures? The God of the universe revealed himself in the Bible through the gospel to show us that he isn't just the God of all power, he isn't just the God of all justice, he's also the God of all grace, all love. And he's offered you the way to come out from under that trial, to turn, be turned back to him, not as a holy, righteous judge condemning you, but as a loving father offering you life, adoption into his kingdom. He's offering you the opportunity to become his children, son and daughter. How do you, where do you get that from? Re- real quick, I mean, if you look back in verse 2, you have the gospel all over verse two in Hebrews chapter four. For good news came to us, just as it did to the Israelites, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Listen, when you hear good news, that's the word euangelion in the New Testament, anytime you hear good news, we're talking gospel. And if you notice, everything that the writer of Hebrews says, as far as entering into the rest of God, the Sabbath of God, is born out of the overflow of the reality of the gospel. You have to have the gospel, or you do not have Good news. But the good news of the gospel is that God, who, who looked down and said, because of your sinfulness are owed nothing but, but righteous condemnation, chose to send Jesus to go and pay that penalty for your sin. When Jesus goes up on the cross, what does he do? He stands condemned on your behalf up on the cross. He takes on the wrath of God for you on the cross. Like, what ends up happening is because Jesus is condemned for you, you no longer have to be condemned anymore. Literally, the God of the universe has, has satisfied his wrath because he's poured it out onto Jesus, so now he doesn't have to pour it out on you all over again. You can come under God, you can come under his reign and not see him as a tyrant that wants to rule over you and just hold you down and like just condemn you over and over and over again and tell you how ashamed he is of you over and over and over again and, and just hold you to sin all over again. Instead, you have a God that loves you, has nothing left for you except love and grace and acceptance. You get the gospel, you can begin to enter then into the overflow of the gospel, which is God's rest. I'll show you what I'm talking about. There's, there's two major ways that you can enter into the rest of God out of an overflow of the gospel. Like for example, and it's in this passage, first, if, because of the gospel, you can enter into God's rest. And so because of the gospel, you need to rest from the exhausting effort of trying to hide from God. Trying to hide yourself from God and from others. Because of the gospel, you can now enter into God's rest and rest from trying to hide from him. If you look in verse 13, Hebrews four thirteen, it says, no creature it's hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Okay, so, so when you enter into God's rest because of the gospel, you don't have to hide from him anymore. How exhausting is it to always be hiding? Like so many churches are full of people that show up on Sunday, but they never drop their masks. They never admit who they really are. So many people are serving in the church, and yet they've never been able to just confess to someone, this is where I'm struggling, this is, this is who I really am, and, and, and I'm fearful that if I'm honest with you, you'll reject me. And so people put up defenses, they put on masks, and they try to hide from God as if it's possible to hide from the God of the universe. And this, the scripture's coming in and telling you, man, listen, as much effort as you're putting into trying to hide from God and not embracing who you really are right now, um, he sees you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter what you've done, you can't outrun him. And I want to I argue with you today that that is great news, that you can't outrun him. It, it's kind of like this. Um, so many people have spent most of their faith just playing like a divine game of hide and seek with God, Right? Like that's what our faith a lot of times will look like. So when we were, when my kids were little, we would play hide and seek together. We had a little house in California at the time and we would play hide and seek and there are literally like three places you could hide in the entire house, right? And so there's like, you could get behind the door in one of the bedrooms. You could like get behind the curtain in the kitchen and it's like they just see you immediately. Or you could just like kind of pretend like you're a rock like in the middle of the living room and just kind of sit there and hope no one sees you at all. And those are like your three choices. And so I'd play hide and seek with my kids, right? And and so I would go hide and they would count to 10 and they would come find me right away because again, there's only three places to hide. And for me, it was like I could hide there for six seconds and I'm ready to get out of the hiding spot, right? And then I would be the one that goes and looks for them and I let the kids hide and I found out really quickly as a young dad that I would I would do anything back in those days just to find like two or three minutes of sleep right and so like I I literally will 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 do come up with creative ways to find a two-minute power nap and this was a great way I'd say okay boys it's your time turn to go hide and daddy I'm gonna lay on this couch with my head buried so I can't see you and I'm gonna count to 500 okay so you guys find the best spot you can possibly find right and I would say, one, two, three, and then I go quiet, like, you know, let let them hide. And then I'd take my little two minute power nap, right? And I would get up, it's a beautiful moment, just feeling rested. Soul back to back to a place of joy again. And then I would go look for my kids. And again, there's three places. So I'd be like, Yeah, he's he's behind the curtain again. And so There he is, but I'd go hide for him. Now, the first couple times, or I'd go find them where they're hiding. Now, the first couple times we did that, the boys, they go and they run and they hide and they stay there for a few minutes and they're just sitting there, you know? And if you've ever played hide and seek, you know, when you're sitting there like, you can't stay still, like everything in you just wants to get out of this hiding and go back out into the real world again. And so my kids caught on to that pretty quick, so after about two tries of me doing like the two-minute power nap, I would count to 500, and in about six seconds into it, they'd be like, Dad, I'm over here, you know, like, like come find me already, come get me, you know, and, and so I would lose my power nap, but I'd learn a lesson that, you know, children aren't designed to hide from their dads, they're just not. There's just something intrinsic inside of us into the very DNA of what it means to be a human being that you were not created to put on a mask and try to hide from your father who created you. Do you understand that the moment my kids went and hid in the house, the, the, the irony of it was they were killing themselves in that moment because they were so antsy and they just, it was exhausting to them to stay hidden. But, but here's the other thing. The moment that I, I looked out, I knew exactly where they were. They were never truly hiding. And neither are you. And so for all of the efforts that you've put in over the years to keep up the facade, to keep putting on the masks, and to keep playing that divine game of hide and seek with God, hoping that you'll never truly, no one will ever really know what you're going through or what you've done. God sees you. He sees you. You can't hide from him. And yet, yet, he looks at you and still calls you his son and his daughter. Seeing everything that you are, all the masks dropped, he literally looks at you and goes, I still love you. You think you're hiding from me. You're not hiding from me. Like, you're needlessly tiring yourself out right now. You can drop your mask and be yourself. Literally, just, just. Just sit with me for just a moment. That's what the Father's saying to you. And just say, hey, I am utterly sinful before you. Like, I'm utterly sinful. I haven't measured up. And you know what you're going to find? Is that the Father doesn't look down at you and go, it's about time you noticed that. It's about time I got some appreciation around here. You know, like, clean up your life and then maybe we can have a better relationship. No, the Father hears you go, God, I am utterly dependent on you. I do not measure up. And the Father goes, welcome to the table, my son, my daughter. You've always been loved. I've never left you. And so you can rest dropping your masks. You can literally go, I don't have to worry so much about the individual sins I'm committing. Look at the heart that committed those sins to begin with. I can literally go, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and I can't even pass that commandment, loving God with all of my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength and with all of my mind. But I don't have to strive anymore to do that and to somehow prove myself to God. I can just confess to him, God, I'm struggling in my heart to give you everything but for just a moment, will you give me rest under the grace that you've offered me in the gospel to just be myself, drop my masks, Have you given yourself permission to taste that kind of grace? Maybe today that's the rest you need. Just climb out from under that shame and that guilt and enjoy God's grace. And if you can do that, if you can rest from the hiding, from the posturing, from that exhaustion, trying to hide your sin from God, if you can do that, another way to rest is then second, you can rest from working and striving for God's approval of you. Boy, wouldn't that be great, man? Like, wouldn't that be great if you could honestly take a break from trying to win over God's favor through what you do this week? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, I, I want you to stop and think about it a couple of different ways for just a second. In in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10, It says, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his or hers works, as God did from his. So you've rested from trying to strive and work to win over God's favor. I want you to think about it a couple of different ways. First of all, how exhausting of a life is it as a Christian if you have to earn God's favor through what you do? You ever stopped and gone, like, what is Christian living to the, to the non-Christian? You know what the answer oftentimes is? To people who aren't steeped in church culture and they start to look from the outside in at what Christians are doing, so many of them with their lives right now. Like, here's what it looks like to them, like, okay, I put my faith in Jesus, it's cool because one day when I die, I get to go to heaven and, like, be with him forever instead of going to hell and being apart from him forever, that's pretty cool. Now, between now and when I die, here's what I gotta do, is I gotta, um, first of all, start going to some Bible studies, so I'm gonna go to some Bible studies, I'm gonna learn the Bible, and as I learn the Bible, then some guy or some girl is gonna take me under their wings, they're gonna train me up to go teach other people about Jesus, and so from there, I'm gonna go out from there, and I'm gonna share Jesus with people who don't know Jesus, hope hopefully to get them to convert to belief in Jesus, and now here's the thing, once I get them to convert to Jesus, it's not just about making converts, it's about making disciples, and so I need to share my everyday moments with them, take them under my wing, and, and literally disciple them from the ground up every single moment that I can, and as I get good at that, I'll get more disciples, and my job isn't to just stop at those disciples, but to get those disciples to go make more disciples, and so that's what they're going to do, and I'm going to have a bunch of people over to my house now, and every single day, we're going to be talking about Jesus, we're going Doing things for God, and then if we get really good, maybe we'll take that overseas and we'll do that at an even bigger scale. And then eventually, I'm going to be serving like every single moment of my life, getting more and more people uh, to, I guess, share my life with me. And I'm just going to be laying down my life for all these people constantly, all the time, doing all this activity, all this activity, all this activity. Does it ever get exhausting to you? Like, be honest for just a second. Does it ever, does the, the Christian slog through life? Ever feel exhausting to you? When do you stop and actually enjoy any of your salvation in that? When do When do you back up and go? When do I get to just take a breather for just? Is that even like Is that even God honoring for me to step back from that and just maybe maybe enjoy some time off from all that? The Bible's going to say, "Heck yeah, take some time off from it. Find your rhythm. Find the grace to not have to strive." to earn God's favor through what you do. Here's the irony of it. Here's the irony of it. If you get into a rhythm of rest, where you take a step back from all that stuff I just talked about every once in a while, and you just, I'm no longer trying to do anything other than just enjoy God's grace in my life right now. And just give him the glory for the joy that I have, just the the rest that I'm having right now. You know what you're going to do when you begin to practice that is you're going to begin to see God as better and better and more and more glorious and more and more worthy of your heart's deepest affections. And here's the irony is that when you begin to love him more and you begin to actually desire him more and he begins to win over your heart's affections even more, you become a person who wants to go do all that stuff. It becomes easier to go do all that stuff. It's no longer exhausting to you. It's where you find your, your energy, your strength. It's not that I'm trying to do all these things to win over God's favor. I'm trying to do all these things to, to remain in his presence because that's what I love. That's where I'm finding my rest. That's where I'm finding my joy. And so when you enter into God's rest, you're taking a break from doing any of that stuff to earn anything from God. Do you realize that no matter what your track record is this week, like, no matter how good you do this week, or, matter, or no matter how much you fail this week, literally there's nothing you can do to make God love you more than he does right this moment. That's the gospel. But you think God in the gospel is holding back love from you because you didn't listen to K-Love this week in the, in the car on the way to work? And we can get serious about it, too. You think God doesn't love you as much this week because you failed to really love your neighbor the way that you know you should? Like, that doesn't seem to be in line with the the gospel is, God sent his only son for sinners because of his love for them. And if he sent Jesus to die for you, knowing all of your sin, knowing everything you've done, everything you're doing right now, everything you're going to do, he still sent Jesus to die for you, it seems logical that he loves you right now, not after you perform for him. So take a break from performing for him. Enter into his rest by no longer striving to work for his approval. Just simply enjoy Him. The last way I'll get you to think about this is, listen, if you're trying to find God's approval through the things that you do in your life, how nauseating of a ride is that? You ever stopped and really thought about that? Let me just say it this way, Um, uh, and, and then I'll close out with a couple of practical, real quick practical things, but I'll just say it this way. It is nauseating to try to live a faith where you're just trying to earn God's favor all the time through what you do because anything that you're putting your faith in to win over his favor ebbs and flows throughout your life. Give you a couple examples. Like let's say that you're trying to find um, favor with him by loving your neighbor well. You're gonna have seasons where you have incredible success at loving your neighbor well. You're gonna have seasons where, where your neighbor is just a tyrant and you know will not cut his grass no matter how gently you tell him please cut cut your grass and will hate you and will spit venom at you and there's just like no desire in your heart to want to continue to befriend this guy and you're gonna have those seasons and it's gonna be this ebb and flow and if that's what you're relying on for God to be happy with you listen you're always going to be dependent on other people then it's it's a nauseating ride it's kind of like this Friday last Friday we went to Six Flags Uh, a chance to take the boys to Six Flags in in Atlanta, and um, I don't know if you've ever been to Six Flags, Uh, we took the Whaley's with us, um, Ashley and Luke Whaley with us, and they got to go with us too, and we we got in there, and and we start riding roller coasters, right? And I am, like, fired up. We go on this first roller coaster, and it does a bunch of stuff. I still don't quite understand what happened to my body in that one, but, like, it did stuff. We got to the end, and I was, like, beating my chest, like, yeah, man, that was amazing. You know, Luke Luke Whaley was already, like, out, because he doesn't do roller coasters well at all I'm just kidding he's way younger than me and so he he was slaying roller coasters all day long and what, what happened was as we continued to do these roller coasters right we jump onto the next one and it goes up and down and up and down and up and down and I get off that one I'm like yeah man I'm I'm pretty good like that and then we go on the third one right and the third one's taking me up and down and it's kind of shaking me I thought I broke a rib at one point uh, it was that bad, and we get off, and they're like, how you doing, man? And I was like, "I'm, I'm, I," and I flat out lied to them at that moment. I said, I'm doing great, man. This is awesome. I'm loving it, and I figured Jesus will forgive me for that sin. Uh, and I literally am telling them I'm doing great, and I feel terrible. Ter- I don't want to ever go on a roller coaster ever again in my life, and I probably won't now, thanks for that. And uh, Luke's sitting down there going, yeah, sorry about that one. Here's the reality. roller coasters are a lot of fun when you get started on them, right? A couple things. They're really fun when you get started on them, but if you stay on them long enough, you will get nauseated no matter how young you are. Even if you're young like Luke and my kids, eventually you'll get nauseated by it. If your faith is marked by that up and down and up and down and up and down, at first it can kind of be exciting. Man, I climbed to the mountaintop, man, and I see God and it's amazing how he is shining his grace on me. Praise you, God, for your spirit resting on me and then you like, plummet into these valleys. Oh, I'm in you know the dark night of my soul and you're up and down constantly based on how you're trying to relate to God. You will get nauseated in that. Your faith is not gonna taste good to your soul for long. In fact, it's gonna be the source of some of the biggest exhaustion in your life the sabbath god's rest that he has invited you into is the way that you stabilize that ride so that's no longer up and down up and down up and down but it's bringing some some order back into that chaos a more gentle ride that allows you to build up your endurance as you go throughout an exhausting life you don't have to ride the roller coaster, man. And so enter into God's rest. How do you do that? Got fifty seconds to tell you two ways, okay? Two ways to do that. So so how do we practice a rhythm of rest with God? Let me give you two quick, quick, quick things this week. Um, number one, how do we rest? How do we practice a rhythm of this? Um, you need to schedule a time for sabbath every week. Sabbath rest every single week. Like if that's not part of your regular rhythm, then that's a deficiency in your strategy for growth in your spiritual life. And I'm going to I'm going to gently prod you to go ahead and carve out margin in your week to practice sabbath. Take 24 hours for like one full day during the week and enter into God's rest by just giving yourself permission during this day, I'm gonna drop my masks, I'm not gonna try to hide from God and I'm not gonna work for his approval in any way. Just give yourself permission to do that but it needs to be planned, it needs to be programmed, it needs to be regular. Bring rhythm to it, bring discipline into it. Now don't make it empty discipline. There's nothing in me that's saying you have to do this or you won't be saved What I'm saying is God has offered you this as a gift, as a primary way for you to stabilize your trust in him and to simply enjoy him, so utilize it. Look, if you're young in here and you're talking about wanting to lead in the church, so often what I look at in younger guys is I don't see a regular practice of Sabbath. You're young enough now that you think you can beat your chest harder than anybody else and you don't need to rest. You don't need to take a step back. And I just look at you and and I pray for you that God would set you free from that that you'd be able to schedule this into your schedule every single week. And let me just say this also, just for the sake of time. We can talk more about how you can do that. Some of you, by the way, are so busy right now that this little exercise of trying to schedule this in might might surface some idols you need to work on in your missional community. Maybe you can't give 24 hours a day, so give 24 hours one day a week. Give 12 hours one day a week to it. Give four hours one day. We start somewhere and get in your groups and talk about how you can do that better. And then here's the second thing. So then let's say I schedule that time. What do you do with that time then? Okay, we've taught principles of of Sabbath. Like how do I actually utilize that? How do I structure that time, right? And here's how you structure that that one day a week to practice the Sabbath. Here's what you do during that time. You ready? Whatever you want to do. And don't apologize for it. Whatever you want to do. Just go enjoy it. Now, now there are limits to that, right? Like, don't go sling heroin for 24 hours every week. You know. <laughs> get an email on that one. Uh, like, like, don't go, don't go do something that's out of line with the gospel. Like, I get, I get that. Like, like, at the same time, the goal of that morning or that day, each week, is simply to enjoy God. To enjoy the grace that he's given you you know how i did it this week on friday i went to six flags and rode roller coasters ironically and we were joking on the way in there and i was like luke you got to find me some sermon fodder for this sunday what i didn't tell luke is i already knew where i was going with that illustration from roller coasters way before we ever went to six flags to begin with why because during that 24 hours i wasn't going to think about my sermon wasn't going to work for this church You know, I wasn't going to sit at Six Flags with my kids on the last Friday before they start school again and check my email and my text to make sure that, you know, our widgets are working right ahead of Sunday. Why? Because I am am first and foremost a child of a king, a child of a father that loves me and that has invited even me to enjoy his rest. And so for that day, I just gave myself permission to not serve you here in any kind of way but to just simply enjoy my Heavenly Father with some friends and with my family and some people that I just wanted to be around. And it was beautiful, man. It was beautiful. That doesn't mean I don't care about you. It doesn't mean that I, for 24 hours, abandoned my heart for people or for compassion or for any of those. That's not what we're talking about. What I'm saying is you don't need me for the 24 hours. I'm a pastor. Like There's nothing urgent going on in your life that you have to have me right that second. Right? Like, if it's that urgent, call 911. Like, I'm serious. Go go call 911. I'm going to be terrible at helping you with your medical condition. Like, there's nothing that urgent. The point in all that is to say, give yourself permission to enjoy God any way that brings you strength, any way that brings you rest, anything that you want to do. For Mindy, it might be, I'm going to take a nap today, physically rest, and I'm not going to apologize to anybody about it. What is it that you need to do to rest? Can you find it? Can you practice it? As much as anything, can you enjoy entering into God's rest? It's a gift that He's given you. And my, my prayer for you is that you'd enter into it every single week. Um, let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for the grace that you've given us to be in this room. Uh, God, your word that has revealed your glory to us is so beautiful when we step back and we really look at it that, that you have given us the gospel, Jesus himself, to come and to go essentially on trial on our behalf, to take on the condemnation and the conviction of sin that we deserved in order that we might have the rest that he deserved. God, what an amazing gift you've given us in him. And my prayer this morning is that as a people, right now, God, we would turn to you, not out of obligation, not with masks on, hiding who we really are right now, and certainly not as people striving to somehow earn your favor and your love by doing something religious on a Sunday morning, but instead that you would allow us as a people to turn to you, to see your glory in the good news of Jesus and to give you our hearts so that we might enter into rest. That's what I pray over this room today. There are people that just need to drop their masks. There are people who just just need to get out of that rhythm of trying to earn it all over again right now. And so free them from that this morning, Holy Spirit. Give them trust in you, that you might receive the glory as we as a people turn to you this morning. Pray this to you, Father, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we close out today, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's something we do every week here at Summit Crossing. And if you are a follower of Jesus, we would invite you to to join in us as as we remember the good news of the gospel so we worship God through that. Um, you have a little cup like this, and in that cup, there is a little wafer at the top, and that wafer represents the bread, which represents the body of Christ that was broken on the cross for your sins. And, and this morning, as you, as you look at this little wafer in your hand, what, what, I would, what I'd ask you to consider is, can you enter into that rest today that you don't have to do anything to earn God's favor. You can rest from your work and your striving today. That's what the bread represents. Jesus' body was broken for you so that you don't have to be broken all over again. You can be healed and come to a father through sheer grace alone. And so listen, if you can enter into that this morning as as you take this bread, then I invite you to do that. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he passed it around to his disciples. And he said, take this, all of you, and eat it. This is the bread of my body that will be broken for you so that your sins could be forgiven. So do this in remembrance of me. And then next, if you open up your cup, there's grape juice in there which represents wine, and that wine represents the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ represents the covenant that God made to us through the gospel. That covenant is just simply the good news that God wants to be with you through his grace, that his spirit dwells in this place. You don't have to go find him, he's already found you. That God is with you in this moment and when he's with you, he's not ashamed of you. He's not mad at you. He's not shaking his head saying, ah, just figure it out already before I can love you. No, he is seeing all of you right now. You can't hide from him. And yet because of his grace that he's given you through Jesus, he calls you his daughter. He calls you his son. He says, I'm pleased with you. I'm proud of you. And I love you. Some of you today, that's the rest that you need to enter into. And if you can enter into that rest, that good news that you had the presence of God in your life right now through this covenant, and he is pleased with you. Not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did for you, but he's pleased with you. Then take this cup with us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, later on he took a cup and he passed it around to his disciples, and he said, drink this, all of you. This is the cup of my blood, the new covenant that will be shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the final thing we'll do this morning just as a group is, is, in the end, turn back to him and worship. The highest rest for your soul is to bring glory to God and praise him. What an amazing God we have to celebrate that he has offered you this gift of the gospel that you might rest. If you're with us, and we encourage you to stand with us and for the culmination of this morning to turn to him and worship him with us.